Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's Strength Rehab Podcast. This week on the show, we had Darius Williams. He is a coach and a fellow chiropractic student at the school Rao and I both attend. During the conversation, we basically clear up the muddy waters and what it takes to coach and train an athlete of the finesse sport world. We already know when it comes to football, the bigger, faster, stronger you make somebody, the more lethal they are on the field. Well, that's not necessarily true with somebody like a pitcher, golfer, or basketball player because it takes a large amount of skill to be good at the actual sport. So we kind of talk about that. We also address the prehab aspect of things, how you may be seeing or how the athlete might be presenting movement compensations and how you might have to correct them in and outside of the weight room. Uh, Just to remind you guys, if you like this podcast, please, please, please rate it. Give us five stars because it helps us tremendously. We are climbing up the leaderboards. And if you know anything about Raul and I, we are very competitive. We love the support. If you want us to talk about anything specific, please let us know. Also, if you are stuck in your training programs and you do not know why you're not reaching your results, you have two options that we have here to offer you. We have a great book that's like a field manual. You can actually take it into the gym if you need to and develop a program on the fly. Or you can also directly message us, and not only do we give a lot of free information, but not only that, but we also offer coaching services. So if you're interested, just go to our Instagram. All the information's in our bio. Please enjoy. What's your story, man? Share a little bit about yourself with us. Okay, so my name is uh, Darius Williams. I am from Gainesville, Florida. Um, As you guys know, I am a current student at Palmer. Um, But before my time at Palmer, um, I played uh, college basketball at Barry University. Um, I was a walk-on. I coached high school basketball in Gainesville at a really good – I would say basketball school because we're known for basketball at the Rock. Um, I coached there for four years. Um, when I was coaching there, we have at least two to three Division One players go off to play somewhere each year. Um, after my time coaching there is when I actually decided, because I started coaching young. Um, I actually started coaching when I was 19 years old. Um, mm-hmm. I, there was some stuff that was going on at home that, you know, led me to stay home instead of going off to play ball right away. So I ended up staying home and I had the opportunity to go and um, coach at the high school that I graduated from. So as I was just saying, I coached there. Um, but after my time coaching there, I went to Barry University where I walked on there and I played there for uh, three years. Um, after my time at Barry, which was from, so I graduated high school in 2004. I, I was coaching high school basketball from 2005 to 2008. Then I went from Barry from 2008 to th- 2011. I was a walk-on, so I wasn't on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I mentioned that to say that Barry is a very expensive school. Mm-hmm. So I, end up, I ended up leaving there. Um, 
pretty much my senior year when I had one semester left, but I just could no longer afford the tuition there. So I had to go back home. I came back home. I worked. Um, and then I paid the school some money that I owed them. And then I ended up going to UCF. Mm-hmm. And when you transfer schools, um, you have to do a certain amount of time within their curriculum because they didn't accept all of my credits. So I went there from 2014 until 2015 of December. Um, but my time there while I was in Orlando, um, so for my time coaching at The Rock, I've met all kinds of people. Like we had college coaches coming into the gym all the time. Uh, you learn how to network with different people. You met different people. You, you just, you essentially grow up really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in Orlando going to UCF, I was coaching there. Um, and that's when I really started uh, training. I actually started doing more training. I did training when I was in Gainesville, when I was coaching at The Rock. But I did a lot of skills training when I was in Orlando. You think Orlando is a bigger city. Um, you have a lot of high schools there. So you have a lot of good kids that's going off playing college. When they come back home, they get training. Um, so I got back into training when I was there. There were a few few guys that I coached in high school when I was in Gainesville um, that called me up when they found out I was in Orlando Mm -hmm. and um, one of the guys ended up, they played at the university of Florida. Um, So I started training him. And then once you train one person, um, you know, they tell their teammates, they tell their buddies who play pro and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing a lot of that. I trained a lot of high school kids and a lot of young kids as well, all while going to school and coaching high school basketball and still doing training. Um, and then my wife, who was in Orlando with me as well, um, she was she originally wanted to get into PT, um, and we somehow ran into Dr. Harden's page, mm-hmm. like a lot of people did. Um, we somehow ran into his page and really liked what he did, and we found out that he went to Palmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we found out that he went to Palmer, we looked into Palmer, and we my wife went first. So I went on a visit with her and we both, we both liked it. You know, we was like, okay, cool. We don't have to, you know, go do X amount of community service hours. We don't have to do this. You know, there are a lot of requirements to get into a uh, physical therapy school. We both were great students. We both had good grades. Uh, so it's not like we couldn't get in, but we didn't have to jump through as many loops to get in uh, Palmer as we would have, um, PT school. So she decided to go to PT. I mean, she decided to go to Palmer first. Um, and while she went to Palmer, this was now in 2017. So now while she went to Palmer, I was still working for a while. And then nine months later, I decided to go and, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Now, now, given the circumstances of you walking on, I would love to hear your experience because with my experience of walking on and other people that talked about it was you kind of get this feeling where the, the, the university is paying money for these other kids who are on scholarships. So it, no almost fe- it feels like they have that preference towards them. Did you experience that? And how did you outwork that? Of course. So um, 
having had the experience that I did with coaching, mm-hmm. like I said, uh, when I was coaching at The Rock, we had several Division One, a couple Division Two guys, NAIA guys. So I was kind of introduced to that whole, like the whole system, um, the whole like politics side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so me going into uh, Barry, I already knew essentially what was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you said that too, because once I walked on, my coach at the time, he was a former walk-on for the University of Miami. Mm. And he told me, he, his first thing he told me, he said that um, you're not going to play. Mm-hmm. He said, you're just here to make everyone else better. Um, and I took that, you know, me, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll show you. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to come every day. I'm going to be in the gym every day. I'm going to outwork everyone else, which that is another reason why they like me too, because my first day on campus, I was in a gym. Then I started meeting other guys and they were in the gym with me. So essentially I had everybody in the gym working out, mm-hmm. but remember I had a background in skills training as well. So my love and passion for the game and working out and getting better was there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So to be honest with you, I was in a gym training all the players and we were all working together. And I think they loved that about me. Um, But, you know, in terms of, you know, the whole, the coaches are going to play who they're paying. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know, they're going to, they're going to play the guys that they're paying you're pretty much not going to play. You're going to get in when you're up by 30 points, you know what I mean, with three minutes left in the game. And I think I was just, at that time, I was mature enough to kind of handle that. Um, I still, I just wanted the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted the experience of being there, and I just loved the game anyway. And they knew that, you know, I loved training. I was a former coach. um, So I still, I understood the game. and I could even even in practice or even on the bench, to be honest with you, I'm on the bench, I'm a player, but I'm still essentially kind of coaching the guys on the bench. Right. Like, hey, you know, this is what's going on. Or they would ask me questions because they all knew, you know, my background, my experience, and I was pretty mature. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just took it as a grain of salt. It didn't really bother me. Um, but I think that was due to, once again, you know, my experience with coaching and my background and just already previously coaching. I mean, talking to a lot of different coaches and just kind of getting a feel for um, how things were and how they were going to be. Now with with basketball being such a highly like finesse and coordinated sport versus something that's more like intangibly speaking, like strength, speed and all that. How do you incorporate the weight room side of things and then the skill side of things? Because we, we know that you can have all the intangibles. You can jump the highest speed, the fastest speed, the strongest. But if you can't make the shot, you're worthless. So I'm just curious how you utilize drills and the weight room together to make the best athlete possible. So I think the first thing is you always want to ask, okay, first of all, how strong is strong enough? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially with sports. Um, so with basketball, you don't, you, you're, you're really not, you don't want to be too big. You know what I mean? Because you have to be, you have to be mobile. Now you have people who are genetically gifted to where they can carry a lot of muscle mass and that not really affect the way that they move just because they're genetically gifted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so with basketball players, you know, you just want to make sure that they're relatively, you know, strong with their, with their, the main thing is, can you handle your body weight good? Can you move mm-hmm. in space good? So yes, you deadlift, um, less you, yes, you squat, you know, yes, you lunge, rear foot elevated, all of that stuff, but you take it from the lens of this is just a supplement to make you more durable for your sport. We're not trying to make you a uh, professional weightlifter. We're not trying to make you a power lifter. We're just trying to make you strong in certain positions so that when you do find yourself in the game and you just happen to be in this position that you can handle, that you can handle that stress. And then also with basketball too, it's kind of physical, especially depending on what position you plan. So if you're in a post, you have to definitely have a strong, lower body and upper body to be able to handle the constant back and forth hitting mm-hmm. and like all of that kind of stuff that's, as you can. Like for me, I would say the hardest thing playing um, was defensively running through screens. Mm-hmm. So if you're a guard and then you're getting screened by a big guy, so someone on the other team come and kind of stand in front of you so that the guy that you're guarding can kind of run off of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be strong enough and durable enough to be able to get through that, but you have to be agile enough and quick enough to be able to make that move. So, really, basketball, you know, we never really – you know, most guys never really squatted over 285, but we did a lot of lip and lifts. We did a lot of uh, kettlebell swings. Um, We did more explosive things to kind of just make sure we were explosive. And then during season, you know, we just kind of – we lift it heavy, but not a lot. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. one day we will lift heavy, then the next day we will lift explosive, but we didn't really do a lot of volume in season. Right. We, uh, just typical, you know, the typical uh, programming that you do for athletes. Yeah. To maintain so, during the season and then on the off season, exactly. we become more durable. Exactly. So yeah. you get bigger, you get bigger during the off season and then in season, you just try to maintain as much strength as you can that you develop off season and preseason for your sport, because you're spending a lot of time in practice, you know, you're, it's a lot going on. So you have to be able to uh, modify, modify your training mm-hmm. so that you don't put too much stress on a player because they got school. They have, they have practice, they have like homework, they have all this stuff going on mm-hmm. and you have to take into account for all of that. So in season, we probably only lift it twice a week. For sure. And and lift ju- it twice a week. Ju- just to sure. touch upon what you just said there so we can really drive home this point, because that is a very important thing that like old school uh, coaches don't really talk about is the external factors. What, what's going on in their life? What's going on in the school? What's doing these other things? Because that is going to play a large role in the recoverability. And it's, it's yeah. beautiful that you talked about it. And like I said, I'm just being a sounding board and repeating what you said, because people need to drive that point home. We are coaches, not programmers, you know? Exactly. Um, and I think that our, so we had, we had a strength coach and then we had a, um, a performance coach. Um, but they both always made the point of everything we did outside of basketball was just to supplement for us to play basketball. It was mm-hmm. to kind of enhance our ability and make us stronger and make us durable. Um, but we weren't professional 
weightlifters, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. For sure. Um, but mostly everything we did was, especially end season, was all, like I said, maintaining strength and power, explosiveness. Mm-hmm. So low reps, but, you know, pretty pretty high intensity uh, weight. Right, right. High intensity, low volume. Yeah. So they maintain the strength, but they are easily to recover. Exactly. Now, exactly. I, I do have a question because usually when we bring people on and it's typically in the rehab setting, we ask about their screening process, but we haven't had anybody on about basketball. And, you know, it's a very, it's a cool sport. And I was curious as a coach, when you're taking on somebody as a client, what is your mm-hmm. screening process? How do you know what you need to work on? So it, it depends on what level you're talking about. So if we, if we're just simply talking per se, um, a high school kid. Mm-hmm. So with a high school kid, first thing first is you watch them move. Mm-hmm. You watch them move, you watch them play. And when you watch them play, when you know the sport and you know movement, mm-hmm. you can kind of, you can kind of see, Hey, what they need to work on. Cause basketball players need to have good dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. You need to have, you need to have good, single leg stability and control because you're doing a lot of jumping and everything off one leg. And especially with the way the game is now, um, a lot of players even do a lot of shooting off one leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just want to make sure that they have good in terms of just like strength training and uh, rehab or whatever you want to call it. You want to make sure they have good ankle dorsiflexion and they have pretty good hip stability and good core, good core strength, meaning that they can, like stability not crunches and all that kind of stuff can you absorb can you absorb force and can you handle it and can you transfer force from your lower body to your upper body Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. those are the main things that you're really looking at you're not really putting down through like an fms fms screening right you know if but you have to be able to look at them and see what they're doing and my experience from playing and coaching i can kind of look and see Hey, we need to work on this or, Hey, we need to work on that. Um, and then just in terms of like, uh, athletic performance, not skill training mm-hmm. again, uh, make sure they have good single leg strength. Yes. You squat. Yes. You squat and you barbell squat and all that kind of stuff. But really, man, um, you can get a great workout with two, two pretty heavy kettlebells. Mm-hmm. You can, you can do a lot with that, especially with basketball players, because again, you're not they're they're not football players with football players you need to be big you need to be strong right um hockey stuff like that you need to be big you need to be strong basketball you need to be mobile mm-hmm. you need to be explosive you need to be agile you know so can you move can you move good through your ankles can you move good through your hips and can you handle do you have pretty good core strength mm-hmm. outside of that you're good cuz look at it. look at basketball players you see Six seven, two hundred, long and lanky. You know what I mean? They're not, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they're not. They're not huge. You know, LeBron James is an outlier, right? You know, people like that. They're outliers. Um, so again, just make sure that they have good body control and good body awareness, proprioception, and, and you're good. 
See, I, I like how you brought up how it's not necessarily the FMS system because I believe the FMS system is just way too general and it has no goal in mind versus somebody that is a coach that's, you know, coaching basketball. You clearly have a goal in mind and that's be better at basketball. So your screening exactly. process is much yeah. more tailored to the person you're dealing with. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious here is you, you, you said that you, you watched the player and you noticed that they may be lacking in a certain area. Could you give an example where you might see a, a player do something and like that kid's missing single leg stability or something of the sort? Okay. So, so in, in basketball, like angles, angles is, is everything. Like being able to stay low, like, you can look at a player and watch him bend, and if he bend and he doesn't have, he doesn't have good dorsiflexion, like you don't see really good knee drive, mm-hmm. like you don't see those knees going over those toes, mm-hmm. then you then in your mind, like okay, let's check this. Okay. So we go in, then we you do your work. You know, you have them. You can. There are several ways to check for ankle dorsiflexion. Right. You know, some people have you stand against the wall. Some people have you you know, do the whole knee drive thing. You can manually have them lay on the table and, and, and check, all of that kind of stuff. But really, when you see it, you already know because you know, hey, this guy, when he bends, like, he doesn't have any, he doesn't have, like, his knee should really be kind of driving over his toes. And then you just talk to him, you ask him. Like, you, get, you learn so much when you talk to a player. How does this feel when you do this? Mm-hmm. How does this feel when you do that? And they give you that feedback, and then you kind of explain to them, hey, so we're going to work on this to improve this for this reason. And then they say, okay, let's, let's go. Let's do it. I think it's really big yeah. that we bring it back to the game film or how you watch them play because at the end of the day, you can put this guy next to a wall and have them drive their knee towards the wall. Exactly. That's not the game, one. Yeah. Nope. And two, they can have the passive dorsiflexion, but if it's a movement compensation that they don't feel strong in, they're not going to do it on the field or the court anyways. Exactly. So, and that's, that just gives more merit to the coach. Everyone thinks that they can watch a YouTube video and improve themselves. Well, let's be honest. Nobody's honest with themselves. I can look in the mirror and say, I look jacked, but I don't. You know, like it's easy yeah. to lie. You know, I like how you just said that, though, the whole passive range of motion, because you do find that some guys have way more passive range of motion than they do active. Mm -hmm. And then so now you just teach them how to tap in that. So, example, when you do your lunge, you make sure that, hey, okay, we're going to do a more more of a knee dominant lunge Mm -hmm. and we're going to make you own that dorsiflexion. So our focus is when we do this lunge is, yes, now we're working on so you can do a a front foot, a front foot. elevated squat you know what i mean yep um uh, split stance elevated squat to make sure that they get that good knee drive with that weight in their hands so that now we're saying hey you're teaching your body i can get to this position and with that weight you're stabilizing it and then you're eventually going to have more control over it if that makes sense for sure for sure. Now, I was also curious. Um, so we talked about kind of like when we're talking about angles and the ability to drive off a single leg, that's more of the physiological preparedness of the athlete. And I want to know a little bit more about your approach with the neurological aspect, meaning skillfuls and coordination, right? Um, yeah. So like from what I've been reading and what I've been doing on my own is when we're trying to develop skill, we do high frequency low intensity so they can just keep doing it and doing it and doing it to the point where it becomes ingrained within the cerebellum right so yeah 
I'm just curious, like, you know, how do you take your approach to improving the actual skills of the game with your athletes? So fundamentals first, right? Mm -hmm. So you, so I give a, just a brief example. You need to learn how to do a left hand layup. Mm-hmm. You start with a left hand. You you start by teaching a player how to jump off. So if I'm doing a left-handed layup, you teach them how to jump off their right leg, left leg up, left hand up. That's just the first basic fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Same with right. So if you're doing a right-handed layup, you jump off of your left leg, right leg up, right hand up. Mm-hmm. Basic. You teach them that. You do that over and over and over again. Then you like, for example, I used to, I used to eat with my left hand. I'm right-handed. I used to eat with my left hand. I used to take my basketball and dribble, just, just play, just do all kinds of different stuff with my left hand so that my body can get used to being in this position, being in this position, being in this position. And you just do it over and over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over and over again and then you add a layer to that so now you taught that player how to uh left hand up left leg up now what now you can teach them how to jump off for their left left leg with their right leg up and left hand up Mm. it's different so when you watch the game nowadays you see people like you have to nowadays you have to be able to jump off either leg. You have to be able to stop on a dime off either leg and get the ball off. Mm-hmm. So you slowly, you slowly, you start from again, you start from the basics, and then you slowly build and add layers to everything that you're doing. Um, another example, if I'm gonna teach a guy how to do a uh a crossover, all right. Again, you're sitting down, you're just basic crossing over, basic crossing over. Then you teach them how to sway with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How to, like, how to move their body because in basketball, it's about rhythm as well. You cannot be stiff. Mm-hmm. You got to have rhythm. And really, if, you don't, if you're not the most athletic person, but you understand how to change directions and change paces really well, you can still be successful, a la Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. Granted, he had great he, – he could shoot the ball really well and he had a really high basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. But the guy had great footwork. He had great change of pace. And he really understood the game and he kept his dribble alive. So um, another example. So if you're teaching someone how to shoot, all right, you're teaching them how to shoot. You always just start right in front of the rim. Mm-hmm. You start right in front of the rim, get the elbow in, up and above. The mm-hmm. basic thing, we call it beef. Balance, eyes, elbow, follow through. Balance, make sure you're on balance. Eyes are on the rim. Elbow in and just follow through. And you make 10 of those. Then you take a step back. You make another 10 of those. Then you take another step back. You make 10 again. You take a step back. You make 10 again. And you're just teaching your body, like, you're teaching your nervous system, this is what I'm doing, and this uh-huh. is how I do it. And then over a period of time, it just becomes second nature, second nature, because you don't want to think about it in a game. Mm-hmm. It has to come to you. When you think about it, you're off. For sure. It just has, it has to be second nature. And you just slowly, you pick, like, for example, so if you have a pro, like if you're working with a guy that play overseas, or I never worked with NBA guys, but I work with a lot of guys that play overseas. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those guys make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. 
So with them, you pick, you watch film with them and you talk about, hey, okay, what do you want to work on? What do you want to get better? All right. And you watch the film and you say, okay, this is where you can improve that. And so you got to make sure that they can see it just as well as you can see it. Cause you don't want to just say, say, Hey, Hey, I want you to work on this. No, you show them why they need to work on it and what they need to work on that. Because mm-hmm. these guys are, these pros, man, they're, you essentially, I'm going to be honest, you got to do what they want you to do. For sure. You know what I mean? So if you don't get buy-in from them, it's, yeah. it's pointless. So you watch the film and you say, Hey, this is where I see, this is where I think you need to get better at. And you show it to them. And then, okay, you come to an agreement. So you pick, you, with pros, you pick one thing that we need to work on. Because mm-hmm. these guys already got like, they already got like basics and all of that kind of stuff down. So we pick up, we pick this one thing and we work on this and we just drill that into them. We drill that into them. We drill that into them all while you still have to work on what they do well, because that's how they get paid. Right. You know right. what I mean? For so sure. if you're a shooter or if you're a defender or if you're a great ball handler, you still work on that because that's their bread and butter. But that one thing that you're picking and you say, Hey, this is what we need to improve on. You may spend four weeks just working on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then that way, when they go back, they just add one small thing at a time. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're adding this big, this whole big, you know, repertoire of things. No, we continue to work on what you're good at. And then we pick that one thing that we feel like is just going to make you this much better. And we work on that because again, they're already, they're in pro, they're, they're playing pro for a reason. They're good. Right. So you just, any small little improvement can make a big difference. For sure. If that if that make if that makes any sense. Oh, one hundred percent. We always make the the analogy of the world the world record deadlifter. If they improve one percent, that's massive. That's because exactly. they're already peaking. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah. it's it's not like some newbies coming into the gym and PRs thirty pounds after two weeks. You know, yeah, because they're still learning the basics. It's like so you take a kid, right, and you see a kid. He go watch, and he let's say he go watch James Harden or he go watch uh, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And he tries to do everything that they're doing without mastering the basics. Mm-hmm. Then that kid, he he's gonna have so many, so many like leaks in his game because he hadn't mastered the basics first. So you always just start with the simple fundamental things, and you add on to those. And then that's when you get your James Hartens. That's when you get your Kevin Durant's. That's when you get your Kobe Bryant's and so on. You know, like, you know, if you, if anybody's been in sports, they heard the phrase fundamental for first, right? Like that is just, that is something that's been going on for years and years and years. And I just think about how you mentioned how Steve Nash, like he may have not been the most fluid person, but his game IQ was through the roof. And I think there's a large like benefit to putting down the basics of or the fundamentals because if you think about it like this if you're too busy worrying about how to dribble with your left or right hand during the game how are you going to analyze the game for at a higher level how are you going to be at a bird's eye view when you're too worried about the basics i you know kobe's not worried about how he's going to cross this guy in front of him he's worried about getting to the three-point line to get the points he needs you know yeah so i just i just think like i'm just trying to tie it all together in my head because it's just like do you t- obviously you teach the kid basics, right? And you also want to teach the kid the the beauty of the game and how the game works. But I feel like if they're not 
in coordination with each other, it's going to go over the kid's head, you know? Yeah, of course. So Kobe, Kobe Bryant already knew when he caught the ball, he already knew where he wanted to go. He, he already saw how the defense was moving. He already saw how they were playing him. He got the ball. He already knew where he wanted to go. And if he got to his spot, it was over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was over. And then the thing is, so you have, you have a counter move to every move. Mm-hmm. So if I have a crossover, I also have to add a between the leg crossover or, or crossover behind the back. Mm-hmm. Meaning if I'm going left and you cut me off left, I have to be able to change directions quick and go right. So you got you to gotta always have a counter to every move. But mm-hmm. those are things that you just you, you work on and they become second nature. Mm-hmm. Like that's why you cannot you cannot replicate playing a sport. Mm-hmm. You can't replicate that. You have to go play. I don't I don't care how much you train. So what you do is you train. We work on this. We work on this. We work on this. We work on this. Now let's go play. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now let's go put you in the game so that when you get in the game, you can get used to the game speed. You can get used to the feel of the game. You can get used to the flow. Like it's, it's a rhythm. You got to have a rhythm. Like in basketball, you have to have a rhythm. And if you don't have a rhythm, you're going to be a block out there. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to move. You know what I mean? You got it. And you have to be able to analyze things very fast. If I see a player guarding me and I see if they have one foot, they, if they have a right foot, in front of their left foot, mm-hmm. I'm going to attack that front foot because now I know you have to react to my move and now you have to open up. But when I, when I attack your front foot, I'm going to attack you so close and at such a good angle that you cannot open up. So mm-hmm. now I'm by you and now you have to open up and you're already behind me. Mm-hmm. That's why I say angles is so important. Being able to have good ankle dorsiflexion, being able to have good uh, hip flexion, you know what I mean? Being able to have, but you got to also be able to extend your hips, but you got to have really good hip flexion mm-hmm. and hip internal rotation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to have that, but you also got to be able to be stable on that hip as well. So you train both. You train both hip internal rotation and uh, hip abduction. You mm-hmm. got to train both. For sure. But, and then people, you know, like, you know, you hear the whole thing about, um, uh, valgus collapse, right? Right. As a as a basketball player, that's the game, right? You you yeah. you're to you're gonna be in that position. Yeah. You're gonna be in that position. Now, am I gonna load you really heavy when I train you in that position? Probably not. But I'm gonna put you. I'm still gonna put you in that position, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna train. I'm gonna make sure I train your hamstrings because you gotta have good hamstring. Uh, strength because you know you hit a whole acl thing right uh so you train the hamstrings because basketball is still kind of quad dominant as well so Mm -hmm. you still want to make sure you have that hamstring strength but you're still training you're still training that hip internal rotation Mm -hmm. you got to you got to be able to flex your hips because if you can't bend at your hips and at your knees and you have sucky uh ankle dorsiflexion you're not going to be be able to get as low as you need to be Mm -hmm. And I always say the lowest man wins in basketball. If you got the ball, the lowest man wins. That's, that's the benefit of a pump fake. Right. A pump fake is not always I'm going to shoot the ball. It's so you can just raise up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And all I need you to do is stand up a little bit. And once you stand up, I'm going under you. Yep. I'm going yep. under you because you stand up. Now you got to come back down. Mm-hmm. I'm already down. And if I'm explosive, if I can explode, mm-hmm. you're beat. Right. 
And now that you're behind me, I can manipulate my movement to keep Mm -hmm. you behind me. I can cut you off. Yep. You you see what I'm saying? So angles and every little detail and all of that kind of stuff matter. You see Mm -hmm. a player and they have sucky ankle dorsiflexion, start working on it because it's going to make a big difference. It's going to make a big difference. It makes a huge difference. I I would say just just to tie everything together and just to make another point that you're already making is when you lack ankle dorsiflexion, that means we don't get proper knee flexion, right? We can't travel that knee across the toes, right? And we know that when we don't have that full flexion of the knee, the ACL is going to be the the main thing that's going to stop any type of force, which is not what we want. We know that it's very hard for you to tear an ACO with the knee being fully flexed. So just to make the point is when you, when you get that proper knee, or I'm sorry, ankle dorsiflex and you drop low, you're basically taking your ACL out of the, the risk area and you mm-hmm. can drive off that leg. So not only does it improve your performance, but it's most likely going to reduce the, the risk of injury of the non-contact cutting. You know? And that and that's what I was saying in the very beginning when you it's important to understand how to distribute stress mm-hmm. to different joints and different muscles. You know what I mean? So it's important that when you that's why you have to understand so if you're training an athlete, you have to understand their movement. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to understand how they move and how they need to move and the positions that they need to be in to make them be successful. But you got to understand, too, how to disperse that stress because you don't want all the stress going in one area. Right. So when you train them, you teach them as well how to distribute that stress when they move, mm-hmm. if that make any sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, I guess the last thing I would like to talk about, um, and it's something that I'm asking from a person like me personally, because all right, you've been coaching for so long and you're, you, you face the financial burden of going to Barry. Um, how did you decide, could you, how did you decide your coaching prices? You know, like you're dealing with some top, top of line athletes. Um, mm-hmm. maybe that makes your, I mean, that, that definitely boosts your resume. So maybe that makes your price a little bit higher, but how did you just decide like, this is my charging cost? So I think you kind of, you kind of get an idea of what other people are charging as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to know you got to kind of know being in a loop and figure out, Hey, what is this person charging? What is this person charging? And then you got to know what kind of service you provide, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you provide quality service um, and that's what you're selling, you're not just having a kid do this just because you, there's a a rhyme and a rhythm to everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. If there's a point, if there's intention behind everything, we're not just going to go out here and do it. No, we're going to, I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you the fundamentals and I'm going to continue to build layers onto those fundamentals in terms of the, um, like the middle school, uh, high school, and even some of, even some of the college guys. So I'll be honest, like some of the college guys that I trained, I didn't always charge them, mm-hmm. but the re- but I got it back because I didn't charge them, but I had all of those same guys when I have a camp. Mm-hmm. Those guys are coming to my camp and they're speaking at my camp and they're playing with mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. And so you get that money back that way. And then the little kids and the parents of the kids think it's so cool because you're training Scotty Wilberton or you're training Casey Prather or you're training Keaton Grant. These guys play college. These guys play pro. Mm-hmm. Now 
they're going to tell more people. They're going to tell more because honestly, I'm going to be real with you. A lot of, a lot of the pro guys, a lot of the pro guys that you train, some of the guys I charged, some of them I didn't. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys that I didn't charge is because they were already like family. Gotcha. They were already, they were already like family, but I knew anything that I asked them to do, they would do it. If I needed them to come, come speak at one of my camps, if I needed them to come train um, before I have another group of kids training so the, upper group, so the little kids can see how the pros train, mm-hmm. I was getting that money back in return. Mm-hmm. So like, um, but with, in terms of like the, uh, just my pricing in general, I looked at what everyone else was charging mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, I charge five, 10 more dollars. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when people pay more money too, they take it more seriously. Right. They take it more seriously. But when you, when you, when you do stuff for free for just most people or people in general, I learned this early on, they don't take it as serious. You know what I mean? And then you might sell them five months later training with somebody else, paying them a boatload of money. Uh-huh. So you have to value yourself. You have to value what you're doing and charge what you charge, what you know you're worth and don't be afraid to charge it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid to charge it because you know what, you already know what quality and what value you're adding, you know, but with the pro guys, I, half of them, I didn't, half of them, I didn't charge. Um, some of them I did, the guys who I didn't knew, cause you speak with their agents and all and everything and you tell them, Hey, here's my price and here are my fees and it's mm-hmm. fine. These, these guys can pay, but right. some of the guys I didn't charge cause I, like I said, they're family. And if I needed them to, to do anything for me, yeah. they would do it without hesitation. Yep. You know, uh, you mentioned that you, you run these camps and when it comes to younger athletes and sport i believe that there's a large component that needs to be had and that's culture i'm just curious how you instill culture within these players either in your training or at your camps so with culture you it's like it's like um so i didn't tell you i taught pe as well um i taught pe as well so when you when you're a teacher you learn this when you're a teacher too um the first day of class you have to establish who you are Mm-hmm. So number one, establish who you are and establish your position. Once you establish that, okay, you have to let the kids, I'm here for you. You know what I mean? I'm here for you. I'm here to help you get better. And now I hope you're here to get better. Mm-hmm. And then you just demand, especially with like middle school and, and high school, high school kids, you, 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 you have a presence about yourself. You let them know you care about them because they have to know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. And once they know that you care about them, they're going to work hard for you. But mm-hmm. in terms of just come, even coming to the camps, it's like I have, like, before I start a camp, let's say I have one of my pro guys there speaking to the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll do a drill before I have them do anything. And they watch how that drill is ran. Mm-hmm. They watch how he's being coached and how hard this guy is going. And that just sets the tone. Right. It's like when you when you play on any team, when you play on any team and you see the you see what tone is being set from the beginning, uh-huh. then you have to get in line with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then when you have when you if there's someone who who's not getting in line with that, all right, next. Mm-hmm. All right, we we gonna you move to the side and then when you're ready to come back, you come back. You know? But when you're training pros, it's different, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. 
when you're training pros, it's different. Um, yes, you go hard, but at the same time, these guys are you you when they tell you something, you listen to them because they're smart. And they understand their bodies. They understand what they're doing. Like if they're like, if they say, okay, like I need a break. You need a break. Okay, cool. Go get a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Come back. But they're not, it's not like they're not trying to not work hard. They're gonna, right. That's why they're there. They want to work. But it's honestly, it's more so you listening to them. You got them. You're guiding them. And if, hey, look, we need to work on this. Boom, let's work on this. Let's fix this. They're all with it. But you still have, you listen to them a lot more, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. They already proven themselves. They already reached the top level. So you, it's going to be very hard for you to fly in the face of everything they've done prior to that point. And as you said, like they, they're going to trust what they've done to that point to get to where they are. So the exactly. second, so you have to listen to them because as you said, like, you know, I'm tired or my knee hurts. I know that I need to be at back out here at 6am to make a certain amount of drills. I'm not going to push this. There's no point. You know, exactly, exactly. So you listen to them and they, cause they tell you, they, they know their bodies. Mm-hmm. These are guys who've been playing since they were five years old. You know what I mean? And now they're 27, 28, 29, 30. Mm-hmm. So they understand, they know their bodies. So, um, but yeah, you know, you, you, you sit down with, with the pros, you make a plan. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to attack it. And let's go, you know? Yeah, man. Look, I just want to—I just want to thank you for coming on, man. We haven't talked basketball yet, and it's always interesting to talk a sport that has high finesse in somebody that's been around the game for so long, and you be able to dissect it the way you did. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, man! Thank you guys for having me on. I know you guys had like big time people on. I'm just a Palmer student. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a downplay. I'm a downplay my basketball knowledge a little bit, but um, again, I appreciate it, man. I, I. I like what you guys are doing. I think you guys are doing a great job uh, informing a lot of Palmer students, informing your community that follows you on social media. Uh, and you guys just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. That's much appreciated, man. Now, Thank where you. can everyone find you? Uh, I'm on social media. Uh, I think my handle Instagram is uh, Coach Darius Williams. Yep. Um, Sounds right. Co- yeah. yeah, Coach Darius Williams. <laughs> And I'm on Facebook. On Facebook, it's just Darius Williams. Um, so if you can follow me there, you, I guess you'll get something good every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll link your Instagram profile to the show notes. If anybody I'll, has any questions about basketball or, you oh, know, yeah. we're, we're going to basically say send it to this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Feel free to reach out, man. I'm open to talking to anybody. So 